0: It's good to see you guys today. This is exactly what we're going to do. The song we just sang about the love of God is what we're going to be seeing uh, coming all over the place in our story this morning. We're going to be talking in 2 Samuel chapter 9, story of David and Mephibosheth. I'm in my mouth a good workout this week, practicing Mephibosheth. Everybody repeat after me, Mephibosheth. We got it. I felt like I said, I felt like an actor getting ready for a play. Unique New York, unique Mephibosheth, right? I wish to wash my Irish wristwatch. Practice in on that one. Mephibosheth, right? We're, we're ready. Let's go. Um, the series is called The King of Kings. We've been walking through this story of the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, and we're seeing God, the true king, and his work through them. Now, last week we saw at long last David has become the king of Israel. Saul's demise due to his own disobedience is complete, and David's the king. Now, remember, he started as a shepherd boy, a promise made. He had to wait 25 years. Uh, there's David. That's, I think that's an actual photo of the original. He is, uh, he is, uh, bug-eyed and ready to go. Twenty-five years later, he becomes the king. Now, you think about waiting for twenty-five years. Have you had to wait for something for twenty-five years? That would take us today, that would take us back to 1994. I looked like this, okay? I'm a ten-year-old teeth going on strong. Bill Clinton was president. Gas was a dollar nine OJ's on the run in his white Bronco, and you probably didn't have the internet. It's a long time ago. 25 years, David patiently waiting for God's timing. And a lot of that, he's on the run. He's hiding in caves. And we saw that he had two opportunities to kill Saul and to take the throne in his own timing. But what did he do? He said, God will remove Saul and put me on the throne when it's time. When it's his time, not mine. This is exactly what happens. We see God fulfilling his promise. Now, that David is king. He's obediently conquered all of the enemies, and there are there's rest in the land. And last week, we saw what was his first act as king. He said, God, I want to build you a temple fit for your glorious name. But what did God tell him in response? He said, you're not building me a house. Oh, no, no, no. I'm building you a house. And we heard of God's unbelievable promise to David, we call it the Davidic covenant, where he said, from your line there will come a son, there will come a king who will build me a forever house. Now we see this partially fulfilled in his first biological son, Solomon, who builds the temple, but ultimately we see this fulfilled in the true David, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, became an eternal king, and was lifted high on a cross, and we saw this promise fulfilled in Jesus in three ways. We see dominion as he puts all things under his feet, this defeats sin and death. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's the true king. We see his dwelling, it will not be in a temple Actually, in us, we are the meeting place of God and man, temples of living stones, as Peter says, and then there will be a dynasty. His throne will never end, and we are actually invited to rule and reign with that king, Jesus, over all the universe for all time. That's a retirement package. And that's what you and I have to look forward to because of this promise. Now, what are David's first two major acts as king. What we see, this is interesting, this first one in 2 Samuel 7 was, what can I do for God? I want to build my God a house. Today, what we're going to see in in chapter 9 is, what can I do for others? How can I show kindness to this man, Mephibosheth, God and others? And this sums up, remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? He would sum up the law. He said, I'd say two things. It's to love God and to love your neighbor, to love others. And this is what we see the man of God's choosing, the man after God's own heart, echoing as king. What can I, how can I love God and how can I love other people? And today we're going to read one of my favorite stories in the Bible, a story of undeserved favor and kindness, things that we as sinners so desperately need and have so freely been given in Jesus. So, Father, we pray that we might have ears to believe and hear, and, and hearts to receive. So let's look at this passage together. Uh, first of all, we're going to see why is it that David shows this kind of loyal love or kindness to Mephibosheth in the first place. If you're Bibles, 2 uh, uh, Samuel chapter 9, I have the verses on the screen here in the ESV. David said, is there anyone left at the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and they called him to David and the king said to him are you Ziba? And he said I am your servant. And the king said is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king there is still a son of Jonathan he is crippled in his feet. The king said to him where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker and the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king sent him and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. I am totally riffing on those pronunciations, have no idea. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to, all the, to you all the land of, your, of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I David essentially adopts Saul's lame grandson, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. And Mephibosheth asks the right question here Why are you doing this? Why are you showing kindness to me? Now, let's talk first of what it's, this is why he's not doing it. He's not, this isn't like a political move. And you know, a lot of times, if we're kind of entering into presidential candidacy period, and what do you often see a president trying to put himself in the best light? So there's going to be pictures of him walking the factory floors of Indiana with the common man, right? He's just in there with all the other folks and he's holding up like minority babies at the orphanage just to look good. This is, that's not what's going on here with Jonathan David. He's not like, I need to look good. Let's pick somebody to pose with. A cripple, both feet, perfect, right? That'll do. Here we are, you know, running for king. That's, that's not what's happening. And this is also isn't just a random act of kindness. He's not just any, many, mighty, mo, bless a tiger by the toe, there is something very significant that's happening here for a very specific reason. What happened just two chapters ago? Remember, God made this incredible covenant with David, this promise to him, which not only was a credible promise to receive, but also served as a reminder of the promise that He had made to his friend Jonathan. Do you remember back in First Samuel, chapter 20? David and Jonathan, they make this covenant with one another, and Jonathan says to David, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. And and here we are. His enemies are all destroyed. Saul is gone. They've got rest in the land for all the ites. And David remembers the promise he had made to Jonathan and his family, of which Mephibosheth comes And so what he does is he honors the promise he's kept to Jonathan to not cut off this faithful, steadfast love. In the same way that God has made this promise, this covenant to David, he makes it to Jonathan. Now, the theme and the key to understanding this passage is one of loyalty or loyal love is the phrase we want to use. This comes from, he says, who can I show the kindness of God to? This word kindness here is the Hebrew chesed. Chesed. It's the hard H in Hebrew that you got to love. So try repeat after me, chesed. There, there you go. If you don't taste your breakfast, you're not saying it right, right? Chesed. Ooh, cream cheese bagel, right? That's, what, that's how you know you're, you're in the right frame of mind. So chesed is this word, not easy to translate into the English, but basically it's this idea of loyal love. It's a covenant of kindness that I have made this promise this steadfast faithful promise that speaks of relationship i will be consistent i will be faithful i made a promise to you and i'm not going to break it david has made this covenant this chesed to jonathan in the same way that god shows chesed to his people consistently faithfully loving the people of israel now that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for their actions right that's parenting 101 i'm putting you over my knee But I'm still your daddy. I still love you. In fact, this is part of my love, right? The Lord disciplines those he loves. Warren Wearsby calls chesed, he says, it's defined as the mercy and favor of the Lord to undeserving people. And we're going to see here in this story why it is that Mephibosheth is certainly unworthy of the chesed, of the favor and mercy that David will show him. Why is he crippled in the first place? The Bible doesn't just put in random details for the fun of it. Why is he crippled? Go back a couple chapters to 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Again, a real picture of, of that event. Um, God bless the internet and cartoons. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What news? That Saul and Jonathan had just died. When that news came, his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So he is a cripple because of his butterfinger nurse. And why are they on the run? Because Saul and Jonathan had just died, and David's time to take the throne had come. Now, it was customary at the time when a new king would assume the throne, it was expected even for the incoming king to get rid of the entire family of the king that had preceded him. We see this in a contemporary, it was a guy named by the name of King Ashurbanipal, which also serves as a great baby name if any of you guys are still looking. Uh, goes boy or girl, it's great. So in the cultural background study Bible um, that I have, it says this about uh, this king. He says, an extreme example is the cruel treatment that the much later Assyrian king Ashurbanipal gave to those who had plotted against me. Here was the, the former members of the throne. I fed their corpses, cut into small pieces to dogs, pigs, vultures, the birds of the sky, and also to the fish of the ocean. If you were looking for a cute little bedtime story for your children tonight, you've found it. The first order of business for an incoming king was to get rid of any of the perceived threats. And remember, the first seven and a half years of David's reign, there was this whole faction of Saul's camp who took the northern tribes of Israel and away from David. And his entire reign, he will continue to battle this. So he's not just making this stuff up. Mephibosheth is rounded up and he's brought into David's presence and has the right to freak out. Is he going to kill me? And David says to Mephibosheth, verse 7, Do not fear. Do not fear. But, but there's, a, there's a reason for Mephibosheth to be afraid here. All my family's gone. I have no land. I, I have no inheritance. David's probably going to kill me. And in a sense, he deserved it. In a sense, and that he was a threat to David's throne because of his, his father, grandfather's, Saul's sins. He does not deserve this favor. He rightly fears David, is afraid of David until he gets to know David's and trust David's heart toward him. So why does David show this kindness to Mephibosheth? He says, don't fear. Here's why. For I will show you chesed. I will show you kindness. There's that word. And why? For the sake of your father, Jonathan. It's not because you deserve it. (laughs) Because of the promise I made to your father, whom I love. The reason David keeps this promise is because he says, I am a promise-keeping king of loyal love. That's why this is the same reason that God made his promise to David, right? Not because you deserve it, David, but because of the promise that I made to your great-grandfather Adam, that I will send a rescuer for mankind because of my loyal love, because of my chesed. That's why David showed the loyal love to Mephibosheth. Now, how does he show it? How does he show it? We're going to see two extravagant gifts that he's going to give to Mephibosheth. He says, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. The first gift is I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. Land was everything for the people of Israel, of the promised land. This was their inheritance. This was their honor. They were an agricultural society, so they lived off the land, food, shelter, a place for their, feet, their sheep and goats to frolic. And this word here, he says, I'm going to restore it. He's giving back to Mephibosheth What would have been his had his grandfather Saul not lost it because of his disobedience. And you can imagine the piece of property that the former king would have owned, right? This isn't a swamp. In fact, his his servant Ziba, we'll see later in the chapter, he is sent with 35 of his men, sons and servants, just to work the land. 35 full-time men working the land and all the benefits going to go to Mephibosheth. This is a sweet deal. He just lays back as these guys plop grapes into his mouth, right? Little tiny Tim feet propped up on the couch. Life is good. Not only does he give him the land, here's the second thing that he wants to give to him. He says, you shall eat at my table always. The first one has a sense of justice, but this is just crazy, off-the-chain type of grace that he's going to give to Mephibosheth. Adam Clark says, sitting at the king's table, eating at the king's table was the highest honor that any subject could enjoy. And this was insane. I mean, think about who's sitting at David's, at his table. His wife, his ki- his wives, let's be real. His kids, his advisors. And what are they going to be talking about? Family stuff. They're going to be talking about kingdom stuff. Plans for the kingdom. What strategy for war. Mephibosheth is going to hear all of this. Now, if, if you think about it, can he even trust Mephibosheth? I mean, he's coming from Saul, who was actively trying to kill him. What if he picks up his grandpa's patterns and starts throwing spears at David at the table? His feet are crippled; his arms aren't. David invites him into this intimate, vulnerable place. I remember one Christmas uh, when I was coaching basketball at Cookinland Academy. Uh, one of the boys from the team called me up Christmas morning. Hey, coach, what are you doing? Well, David, his name's David, it's Christmas. So, you know, I'm having Christmas with my family on Christmas. Cool. Hey, can me and my brother come over? <laughs> what? On Christmas? Yeah. Uh, my, my parents said it'd be cool. Like, we're, there, we're not doing anything. Is that... All right. So, so here we all sit. Mom, dad, brother, sister... Their spouses, my nieces, my nephews, and David and Stefan sitting at our Christmas dinner table. Didn't belong, but freely invited. And we actually had a blast. It was great having them there. Um, but the, the most intimate space imaginable at the dinner table at Christmas time. David invites Mephibosheth into the most intimate space that he has at his table. Didn't have to, doesn't belong, but freely invited. In fact, he goes a step beyond that. Look at verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. It's a beautiful picture of adoption as Mephibosheth is reinstated into that former princely status that he would have had, that would have been his, had Saul not messed it all up. He treats him like a son, even though he very well could treat him like an enemy, So David shows his love in these two extravagant gifts. Now let's look at how does Mephibosheth respond to this love that he's been shown. Look at verse 8. He paid homage. He bowed low. Remember Saul, David did the same thing to Saul. He says, and what is it, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now this should echo into our ears. Remember when God made the promise to David? How did he respond in his song of thanksgiving? Ten times he refers himself as an humble, undeserving sinner. He said to God, who am I? And even in his language to Saul earlier on in our story, he referred to himself as a dead dog. Now, understand, in Hebrew culture, a dog was not man's best friend. He wasn't a pet like it is today. He was a pest. Like, in our, in our day and age, a dog eating at the table, like, that could be a thing, right? We, we oftentimes treat our dogs better than our own children. Dress them up in cute little sweaters. They're part of, like, our family cell phone plan now. Like, we just are, get a little carried away with the way we treat our, our pets, a dog then was dirty and insignificant. And not only did he say he was a dog, he says I was a, a dead dog. When David asked if there was anybody in Saul's line left, nobody knew. If it wasn't for this one servant that happened to know about Mephibosheth, he was off the grid completely. And as a cripple in that society, completely an outcast. He's nobody. This, this is scandalous. This is not done at this time to bring a dead dog to the king's table cause all sorts of FDA-type problems. How did Mephibosheth respond? Exactly like David had done to God. He responds humbly. Who am I? A servant, a dead dog. I don't deserve to be here. He recognizes that he does not deserve the blessing that he is being shown. So let's bring this into our space today. Let's let's ask, why does God show us loyal love? I'm guessing that you caught in this story, we're not David, right? Right? We're Mephibosheth. We are the cripple. We're the dog on death row. Why does David show him this loyal love? It's not just for the sake of Jonathan. There's a deeper reason. If you catch it in verse 3, he says, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? This is the chesed, the kindness, the loyal love of God himself. David's first love is God, a man after God's own heart. He says, the reason I'm showing you this love is because that's who my God is. This is the loyal love that he's shown me. David is a man of God's own heart. He's been shown this loyal love, and therefore he pays that loyal love forward. And this points us to God's character, that God is a promise-keeping God of loyal love, like David is a promise-keeping king of loyal love. He could have wiped out Mephibosheth. The people would have actually expected him to do that. It would have been very normal culturally. But because of his promise to Jonathan, and a step deeper, because of who his God is, he not only spares his life, but he invites him to eat at his table, not just for one token meal, but for always, he says, you're a permanent part of this family. Listen, you and I deserve to be wiped out. God would have been completely justified to keep us where Adam and Eve were, following in their footsteps of rebellion, outside of the garden, outside of fellowship, disqualified from ruling and reigning with him as he had originally intended. Well, why didn't he? Because he's a promise-keeping God of loyal love. He will never break his promise. He says, this is who I am. This is the God who revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34. Said the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That phrase, there's chesed again, and faithfulness. And this is what we bank on. Put all our chips in the middle of the table and trust that God is going to keep his promises. Why? Because that's the God that he is. Now this is freaky, isn't it? We go through some valleys in our lives where it's hard to believe that he's in control. Hard to believe that he's going to be faithful to his promise. I don't see how you're going to make lemonade out of these lemons, God. It's the step of faith. Trusting God to be who he says he is and who he will always be. The loyalty of his love he shows it to us because he's a promise-keeping God. How does he show it to us though? David finds himself in the unique position. He's the only one in the kingdom who can show Mephibosheth this kind of hesed. Nobody else you can have a, another random commoner coming up to Mephibosheth and be like, "Come to me, son. I will protect you. I'll give you my land. You can sit at my table." This is only the king that can do it. There are two requirements. He's got to have the power, the authority as king, and he's got to desire it. He's got to want to. If David doesn't want Mephibosheth at his table, it's not going to happen. He has the desire and the power. Our God is in a unique position as the king of kings. Listen, he says God wants you at his table. The highest honor he could ever give to any of his created subjects. God wants you at his table. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of us come in today pretty broken, pretty dirty, feeling unloved, unnoticed. Unlike Mephibosheth, look at me. God wants you at his table. This is his desire. This is his heart for you. In, in Luke 14, Jesus tells us of this parable where he's inviting people to this banqueting table and he sends out the invitation and the first wave of people are proud and they turn it down. So he sends his messengers back out and he says this in verse 21, go quickly into the streets and alleys, go to the shady parts of town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Bring me the Mephibosheths scandalous work jesus did who was he eating with when he walked this road he ate food with the prostitute with the crooked politicians with the dirty the broken and the lame the outcasts he wants to eat with you no one's outside of that desire he doesn't just say fine i'm god you don't have to go to hell but come in stay in the entryway and don't touch anything he invites us he says i want i got a seat for you at the table with David, and Abraham, and Moses. Pass the butter. Let's eat. It's got to be butter in heaven, right? Come on. God wanted us at the table since day one. That's why He made us to walk with us in the cool of the garden. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. As sinners, we're not dressed properly to come to the banquet. This is a white tie affair. You must come clean. And we have nothing but filthy, bloody rags. So we can't just come to the table. And that's why he sent his son, the true David, away from the table, away from that sweet fellowship that he had with his father, into this world, to hang on a tree and make a way back to the table for us. He says, I have the desire, but I also have the power. And that power in the gospel is in the blood, which is the blood, ironically, that cleanses our garments and makes us fit to eat for the king, not because of our performance, but because we come dressed in Jesus' righteous garments. Amen. Like David, Jesus is the only one, the unique position, the only one that has the power to rescue and, praise the Lord, the desire. He wants to sup with us. And so he did. He came. He came. So how do we respond to God's loyal love? Mephibosheth teaches us a lot here. Three things, and then we'll be done. First of all, we humbly acknowledge that we were dead dogs. Humbly acknowledge that we were dead dogs. Mephibosheth couldn't get himself to the table. Physically, he was lame. He couldn't walk there. And socially, he would not have been accepted. He couldn't just waltz into the king's room. He would have been killed. We, Ephesians 2 says, similarly, we're dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. You know what a dead person can do? Not much. We could not walk to the table, and not only that, we weren't welcome. Why? He says in verse 3, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. His wrath was against us. He's holy. We're not. We couldn't just walk to the table. Like Mephibosheth, rightly afraid of this wrath until we got to know and trust our Father's heart for us that he has made a way back to the table. We humbly acknowledge that we were dead dogs. Number two, B, we we gratefully recognize that we are sitting at his bountiful table. The key word to that first one is that we were dead dogs. Listen to me. We were dead dogs. We were dead dogs, but something's changed. And 1 Corinthians 6 tells us of this beautiful uh, transformation. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, see if you find yourself on this checklist. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, those who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people are fit to sit at his table. And he says, some of you were like that. Check that. All of us were like that. Nobody's getting through that list scot-free. But praise the Lord, the chapter doesn't end there. He says, but, but you were cleansed. You were dead dogs, but you are now cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by your performance. That's not what it says. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen we come dressed in his garments. We were that. We were that. We are now children of God. We are now saints for all those who have called on the name of the Lord. We're sitting at his table, a table of bounty. God has given us everything we need. Do you, do we realize that? Do we really believe that? God's given me everything I need. He's rescued me from sin. He's given me a new heart and a new life to be able to live rightly. And then He's given me this companionship and this intimacy to walk that road. We're not walking it alone. He's with us, most importantly. He's given me friends. He's given me family. He's given me this new wife to walk with. Specifically in my life, He's given me a new hip, a new way to walk when I didn't know how He was going to be able to heal me. He gave me a vocation and a calling as a pastor of a church, He gave me victory over pornography. He meets my daily needs. He puts a shirt on my back, a roof over my head, and food at his table. And listen, when I rest in that loyal love, do you know what happens? What happens is it frees me up to be a giver not a taker. Be a giver and not a taker. The last thing that we're going to be called into to respond to this love is to loyally pay the love forward. We've been contrasting Saul and David. Saul was a taking king and David is a giving king by and large, although we're going to see next lesson, he's a taker too. But in this story, he's a giver. Why is he able to give? The reason Saul was a taking king is that he did not trust his God. He saw David as a threat. And so he wanted to take David's life. David responds to his son Mephibosheth, resting in God's promise to him, and he's able to give. Here's the principle. When we aren't receiving and resting in God's chesed, we worry and we take. If we don't believe there's enough at the table, if we don't believe that God's going to keep the courses coming, then what are we going to do? We're going to go out and we're going to take from other people. We're going to fear him, we're going to doubt him, and we're going to become scavengers when there's all this free food at his table. But conversely, when we are, when we are receiving his love, when we are resting in that love, we're free to give it away to others. Because here's the truth there's not just barely enough at the table for us. Our basket's overflowing. And so we can take this food into the world and share it. We've received it freely and we give away freely. There's more than enough for all who will come. So we may be Mephibosheth, we may be the cripple in this story. We were that we were that. But now, now we have the heart of David. Now we're called to emulate the true David. That's why we're called Christians. It means little Christ. We're bearing his image, ruling and reigning with him right now as his humble servants. And we are called to extend that same loyal love to others. The mercy and favor of God to who? To undeserving people. Not just the ones that give us the warm fuzzies. Not, not just those people who are sweet and kind to us, your besties. How about the annoying jerk at the office? How about the know-it-all? How about the one who's hurt you? What about the ungrateful child? What about the cold spouse? What about the outcast and the cripple, the dirty? You're even called the love Democrats. Those who don't deserve it, because neither do I. Is there a place at my table for Mephibosheth? And why do we show this loyal love? The same reason that David showed it to Mephibosheth, because that is the chesed of our God. And as men and women in Christ, with that new heart, it's a heart of chesed. We've received it freely. Let's give it away freely. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing we were, on our own, dead dogs, unfit for your table. But you did not leave us in that position, in love, because, not because of our performance, n- not because of anything that we did or earned, but because you are a promise-keeping God of loyal love, you initiated the rescue. You sent Jesus away from your table to take our position as a dead man hanging on a cross raising from the dead that we might come back into a relationship with you, a vibrant beautiful love sitting at your table more than we could ever need Lord there's some people in this room today that need to hear that 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 are still dead in their sins that have not come to the table dressed in Jesus' righteous garments pray that today they would take that step of faith and trust your loyal love toward them and believe that Jesus is alive Maybe there's somebody here today that is not looking at their identity in Christ. They're looking to their own performance. They think they do deserve it. Or maybe they think they're beyond your love, that their sin is too great. God couldn't save me from that. God wouldn't welcome me to the table. You have no idea what I've done. That we might believe in this promise that He's made us. Maybe there's somebody in this room that is not extending that loyal love to others. That there's a Mephibosheth that we need to welcome at our table. There's a wrong that needs to be righted. There's a conversation that needs to be having. There's forgiveness that needs to be extended. Lord, that we might be a people who trust that you've given us all we need at the table. And in fact, our, our cup overflows that we can go into this world as little Christs and love the way that you love us, the way you first loved us. May we rest in and extend this loyal love We come to you in the garments In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.